So on a July night, almost 10 years ago, I had the hard privilege of sitting with my dad as he died. I was awake in his dark bedroom for the last night of his life, just me and him, silence and his raspy, shallow breathing, wondering when I needed to give him medication, wondering if I gave him too much medication, praying that he just wouldn't die when it was just me, when everybody else was asleep. And in those hours, I prayed and prayed for God just to show up, to be there with me. I, did, I wasn't even praying for God to heal him anymore. I felt like that time was past. At this point, I was just simply praying, God, don't let me be by myself right now. In those dark, long, quiet hours, I prayed for God to be near. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In these verses in Mark 15, we hear Jesus crying out for God to be near in words that we've probably heard too many times for them still to hold the power that they probably should over us. God's, Jesus is crying out and he's saying, God, don't leave me alone. Father, I want you to be with me still. One theologian wrote that this cry was not out of physical pain, psychological confusion, or the dread of death. No, it was the cry of the Son of God experiencing something he had not known in all of eternity. Separation from God. And of course, Jesus is echoing the psalm that we just heard read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. The beautiful thing for you and for I is that Jesus was not saying these words, or the psalmist, sorry, was not saying these words for Jesus 500 or 1,000 years later. He was writing these words out of his own place of desperation. He had no idea that the Messiah, that the Savior of the world was going to say the thing that he wrote down. It's like your song being sung in heaven. Like, you don't know that that's going to happen. He had no idea. What he was doing was he was in a place of desperation, of heartache, and he was saying, God, why have you forsaken me right now here in this place in my life? Why aren't you here? Have you ever been in a place where you needed to say those same words? God, where are you? When we're in the midst of those places of extreme pain and heartbreak, too often God seems like an absentee father. He seems like a forgotten deity, somebody who's so far gone to even be able to count on in that moment, too silent for us to be able to even talk to. Too often we feel like there's nothing there when we're crying out in those places. In those places where we feel the absence of God, in those places of pain where we're afraid to talk because of the words that we know are going to come out of our mouths if we do begin to talk we feel. And we feel the anger. 
We feel the disappointment. We feel the anxiety. We feel the heartbreak. We struggle to understand. And our constant question in those places is simply this, why isn't God doing anything? But here's the good news. The Bible's not quiet about that. The Bible answers this question, and it echoes that along with us. All of the writers of the Bible, the followers of God, even Jesus himself asked at one time or another, where is God and why isn't he doing anything in my life? And in those times of heartbreak and desperation, they lead us to this simple practice of laments. We, like the author of this psalm, are encouraged to lament. It takes up about a third of all the songs and psalms that are written throughout the Bible. It's a very common thing that we don't talk about very often, but it's all focused on speaking honesty in times of brokenness and suffering. It was a normal part of processing for followers of God. And Psalm 22 is a lament. It's a model prayer for those of us who are followers of Jesus to cry out, when we are in those places of heartbreak, to cry out for God to show up in our times of pain. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you might be sitting there and you're like, Stephen, I know something you don't know. Uh, Psalm 22 is actually a prophecy. You see, it tells us the words that he's going to say on the cross, and it actually tells us even what's going to go on in his body. And it tells us he's going to be mocked, and he's going to be made fun of. And it, and it tells us that uh, he'll be thirsty, and that they're going to make this like nasty, really nasty vinegar drink, and they're going to poke it up there for him to be able to drink. And it even tells us that the guards are going to gamble for his clothes. And I would say, yes. You are completely right. Psalm 22 is a prophecy, and Psalm 22 is a lament. But the beautiful thing is that it's not just those two things. It's more. Psalm 22 is a gift. Because in this psalm, we see the reality that Jesus doesn't just mentally understand what we're going through in places of pain and suffering. He can't just kind of understand what's going on in our hearts and in our minds, but that he's actually been there. He has felt forsaken. He has felt naked and abandoned before God because my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a prayer that you can only pray when you actually mean it. Jesus knew this reality. He wasn't just fulfilling prophecies in his last moments of life. He wasn't going through that mental checklist and saying, which ones did I forget to do while I was still alive? Let me make sure that I say these before the time runs out. He was broken, alone, and in deep, real pain. Pete Gregg wrote this, that lament is more than a technique for venting emotions. It is one of the fruits of a deepening spiritual life that has learned to stand naked before God without shame or pretense. A lament can only be cried out by someone who is standing firm on this one crucial truth. Everything may be falling apart. You may, your body may be 
pushed to the, to the ends of what you can handle. Your emotions might be pushed to the ends of what you can even process. You might feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster, a breath of fresh air at one moment and a gut punch on the next. Yet, in the midst of all that, a person praying a lament like this says this one deeply important truth, and that's this, that I have not yet given up on the love of God. There is still something worth crying out for. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. God has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to their cry for help. They will proclaim God's righteousness, declaring he has done it. Pete Gregg, who I quoted earlier, said this, the Christian witness and our ultimate hope is not merely a succession of miraculous escapes from human suffering. It is the joy of a deepening relationship with the man of sorrows familiar with suffering who loves us and who lives in us. Following Jesus is never going to be a shortcut for how to avoid pain. Jesus didn't give us a lot of promises, but one of the fun ones that he gave us was, in this world, you will have troubles, you will have pain, you will have suffering. He never promised that following him would be an easy get-out-of-jail-free card for that. Jesus doesn't teach us how to avoid pain. Jesus teaches us what to do when we have pain. He teaches us how to actually draw near to our Father in those moments instead of pushing away, rejecting, walking away from, turning our backs from God in those places. We can have confidence that in the midst of rejection that we're not rejected, in the midst of suffering that we're not rejected, that we're not forgotten, that we're not misused, that we're not being abused that God hasn't turned his face away from us because we know that he has listened to our cries, that he has heard us. One of the first writers of gospel music was a man named Thomas Dorsey, and he lived in the uh, 1900s to the 1940s or something like that. And in the 1930s, he uh, was traveling around and he would tour around going to different churches uh, singing the songs that he had written. And on one trip, he was traveling and he got terrible, devastating news. Within the past 24 hours, both his newborn son and his wife had died. And so he canceled everything. He drove home and he stopped doing everything. Life stopped. He felt that God had treated him unjustly, and honestly, I think there were probably a lot of people that said, yep, you're pretty much right. He didn't play the piano. He didn't write a song. He didn't do anything. He just walked away from it for months. And then one day, as he was sitting in his living room next to his piano, he sat down and he decided to play. And he said, I begin to browse over the keys like a gentle herd, pasturing on tender turf. And as my fingers begin to manipulate over the keys, words begin to fall in place on the melody like drops of water falling from the crevice of a rock. That day, Dorsey wrote these words. 
Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. On that July night, almost 10 years ago, I silently cried out for God to show up. And in that lonely, dark room with my dad who wasn't engaged anymore, I knew that I was no longer alone. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see a a disembodied face. I didn't see anything. But I knew in my heart, in my spirit, that I was no longer alone. God had not hid his face from me. Jesus was with me. As we come to an end, Tim Keller once said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me was not a rhetorical question because the answer is this. Why was he forsaken? For you, for me, and for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. This Good Friday, friends, have hope. Jesus was not forsaken. And neither are you. Good Friday reminds us that we have not been forgotten. We are not left alone. He has not decided to hide his face from us. He hasn't treated us unjustly. He is here. He has listened to our cries for help, and Jesus is here. So the worship team comes up, Let's pray, and then we're going to sing another song. Jesus, we thank you that you are here. And I pray for each one of us tonight, who in lots of different ways need to know that you are here, that you haven't turned away, that you haven't forgotten us, or maybe even that you've never known that we existed in the first place. Let us know the reality of your presence this night. Make us aware of your love for us, of the deep sacrificial love that you have that went on a cross that died so that we could be in relationship with you. We say we love you, Jesus. We are yours. Come and be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.